Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. And today we're excited. We've got another special guest with us, Kareen Molman, who is joining us from uh, South Africa. So, how is everybody doing today? We're doing great. I think we're all good, except for it's really hot right now in Utah. It's sweaty sweaty season it's, that's what i call it, it yeah it's <laughs> it's fun cuz we're in the we're in the heat of summer in utah which means it's the exact opposite in south africa right yep it's freezing yes there is a fire lit in our in our house in the fireplace because it's freezing outside and it's been raining for 5 days but we're always happy about the rain because we had um a bit of a drought last year and we we couldn't shower every day so at least we can shower now but it's it's really cold yes that's okay wow that's so interesting because we're we're headed into that right now in utah i don't know that we're necessarily going to get to the point of not being able to shower every day but we potentially could be there i i know we're like we're about to the point of shutting down like irrigation so like you can't water your lawns or do other stuff and then the next phase of drought will probably be like you know stop doing anything extra like washing your clothes or things like that i don't know we'll have to wait and see but that's i'm curious what's gonna happen my lawn is dying and i'm okay with that there's too much of it anyways but i don't know it makes me sad when i walk down the road and people are just like water 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 on the sidewalk yeah I don't know if that's yeah. a problem in South Africa. It's it's a problem. And so I, I think um, I might have gotten my dates wrong. I think it was about two years ago when we had a serious draft. And and yes, our entire lawn died. Everyone's lawns died because you couldn't like water the lawns. And so there was sand absolutely everywhere. And it's quite sad and so on. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, um, lawn versus drinking water. Um, yep. It's not really... <laughs> can't really compare those two things we did learn a lot about how to save water and we are and everybody's got gray water systems at their houses now so you know the household water gets used to water the lawns and stuff and um there are many waterless shampoo products in all of the shops as well i haven't tried those myself because i think it's really weird it's like a spray thing but um yeah, all sorts of things that you learn. That's so, it's so, so interesting. interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a little bit frustrated that we haven't moved faster in that direction uh, because we've, I've been trying to find like gray water solutions, just given the fact that mm-hmm. we're so severely in a drought, it's almost impossible to find any sort of like gray water uh, recycling here in Utah. And it's been, it's been a little bit frustrating because in other places, like they're just, they're super common where you can recycle your gray water into other places in your house or into your lawn and stuff. But like we we're in the middle of like one of the most severe droughts ever. And it's almost impossible to like get gray water recycling. And it's just, it's so strange to me. It's a 
business opportunity, guys. Yeah, seriously, right? <laughs> That's there. You go. I, I'm looking for it when I should actually just be be doing it. Right. Do it. That's, yeah. <laughs> right. Get that government contract too. <laughs> While you're at it, but I am curious though. So here, I think in America, because I'm not from here, so I learn things about America that every time it just amazes me. Like lawn is a big deal here. A lot of people just love their lawn. How's that in mm-hmm. South Africa? Is that a thing too? So South Africa is um, the thing. The thing with South Africa is we're um, we're a very unequal country. So inequality is massive. So I am one of the fortunate few. So I live in uh, you know suburbs with green lawns, and yes, your lawn is a prized thing, mm. and it looks good, and and um, having a great lawn is great. But I mean most. The majority of South Africans don't don't have lawns. The majority of South Africans probably don't have houses, quite frankly. So, so yes, yeah, so so in the suburbs, it's mm-hmm. awesome to have a lawn and a swimming pool and all the things. Um, and people do take pride in it. My husband, I think, spends more time looking after our lawn than he does <laughs> <laughs> having conversations with me. Um, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yes, yes. I suppose we're we're lucky. We're from the we're from the the fortunate side of of South Africa. Yeah. My husband loves looking at the lawn too. So I relate. He's a long <laughs> they guy. Are they are fit over it. Hey? They do. He yeah. things. He'll look at it and go, "Look at that patch over there," and I'll be like, "I can't. <laughs> I don't. I don't see anything." Kyle, do you do, do that? Do you look at your lawn? Uh. I, I don't know how obsessive I am over it, but I, I don't know, maybe a oh, little bit. Yeah. Beginning, I can tell you are then. Yeah, if that's probably. What you're wondering. Look, you can you can judge straight up. You can judge a a a guy by how good his lawn looks. So that's we're all judging each other basically. And so, if if you uh, if you don't have a good lawn, then each of us as a guy is judging the other one. So that's how it is. <laughs> Really? And, I didn't know yeah. about that. Yeah. That's, Good thing we're not your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's tough right now because I mean, I'm, I've had to let mine go uh, brown in a lot of places and I, no. I'm because of the, just the drought. Yeah. But uh, I'm still, still trying to be greener than other people's, you know, it's just a tiered system. So like can I, <laughs> with less water, can I make mine still look better than other people's? And that's the, that's the challenge. So that I can, sounds like there's a little bit of competitiveness. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It's just, <laughs> it it's a way sounds to, like it's time to get the gray water system installed. That's yeah. what it sounds like to me. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Environmentally friendly green lawn. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, all right. Well, I'm going to figure out how to do the gray water system and, and report back. Cause that's, I've, I've been, I've been seriously looking into that and, I think it's it would be really really good. Just the amount of of water that goes down like a tub or a shower that could be filtered and then reused. It just yep. it it kills me now. Now that I think about it, I'm like that could go straight into my lawn and make it greener than everybody else's and I could dominate the neighborhood <laughs> in green lawn. <laughs> Not for the drought, but for the lawn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's a competition and I have to win. That is the only thing I care about. Chase that lawn dragon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. 
this is where I start to think, um, cause every episode I, I just try to segue into the topic of the day. I just have no idea how we can go from the long talk into our, the meat of the episode, which is <laughs> all about green today. And let's not even try to segue. Should we start with the intro? Let's, let's do, let's properly uh, introduce, uh, uh, green who uh, I apologize because I, I'm, I don't think I'm getting the name perfect. So we'll let you. Absolutely fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like we mentioned uh, is a UX designer from South Africa and has been doing UX for the past 13 years. And before that designed microwave applicators to crack rock. So we may have to dive into that just a little bit and has worked Uh, with banks, investment managers, insurers, car manufacturers, cinema, luxury linens, fuel providers, uh, loyalty programs, pretty much running the gamut uh, as far as different industries. And just you've done a ton. But all of your previous non-work related interests have recently recently been replaced by raising your two blonde toddlers from whom you've learned more about human behavior and decisions than all other books combined. So with that intro, is there anything that you want to add other than how to pronounce your name more correctly than I am? Let's start with the name because that's easy. Um, so, so the name is really a very, uh, it's a very common female name in South Africa. Um, if, if you are Afrikaans, which I am, so we've got 11 um, official languages in South Africa, of which Afrikaans is one. And if you wanted to say my name correctly, you could say Karin. <laughs> but if you are of the English-speaking community, then Karin is absolutely fine. Yes, and I'm happy with that. And and yes, yeah, the intro. I think the intro probably covered all of it. Well, I've got one question then for the microwave applicators to crack rocks. Is that like large rocks or is this like rock samples? <laughs> um, so this is uh, for large rock. Okay. Um, this was, um, um, I, I, I studied electronic engineering and, um, and we looked into basically microwave applicators. These are microwave ovens, but none of the kind that you would have in your kitchen. Sure. Um, these are very big metal pipes and you move rocks through them and you basically um, apply a microwave to the rocks and they crack a little bit and that makes it um, a lot easier to extract the valuable stuff out of the rocks. So, okay. so we we did quite a lot of that. Um, um, and, and it was enjoyable work, but as with any research work, once you get to a certain level and you start going into um, a PhD level or something, I, I had to make that choice um, of, of continuing with all the studying um, and I decided not to. It does get a little bit, I mean, it gets a little bit lonely because you spend a lot of time, you know, in a lab on your own doing these little precision measurements and running simulations and, and all the things. So but that was probably a lucky move because then I, then I moved into software and from there I moved into UX design which is not lonely work ever <laughs> because it's not something you can do on your own. Right. So yes. 
the big rocks. Sorry, short answers. Big, okay. big rocks. Okay. Yeah, for the listeners, this is not the household microwave we're talking about here. No. <laughs> so at first, I was like, "What are we talking about? Microwave rocks?" Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. No, that, yeah. That's that is very very cool. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, you recently wrote a really, really great article on burnout and you know, we've been, we've been talking about that topic a little bit on this podcast and in some other places. And I think it's, it's a really great topic just because I think it's touching so many of us in so many different ways and it's just become very, very real both in this recent pandemic, but just as yeah. I think we understand burnout more and more as just part of our lives and part of what's happening in the workplace. Anyway, tell us more about that article, what inspired it, and just, you know, kind of your general thoughts on the topic. Okay. So I suppose the thing, the, the primary thing that it inspired it was that um, I I experienced um, a level of burnout earlier this year. I think it was brought on by a multitude of things. Definitely COVID-19 stress. My my parents both um, had COVID and we had to look after them and my dad ended up in hospital. But also in the workplace, um, everyone's tolerance levels have lowered for stress, right? Because everyone's you might be working from home. You might be working at work. The rules keep on changing, um, um, and so you can sort of feel it around you. And then we just at, at the company where I was working at, we had um, a little bit of a, a couple of projects that had heavy deadlines to them, I suppose, and they weren't as successful as I would have wanted them to be. And I think all of these things just added up, and I realized that. I needed to, I needed to draw a line for myself, and for the first time in my life, I resigned <laughs> without knowing what I would do next. Um, and that was quite, that was quite a shocking thing for me to do because I'd never done that before. Um, and it gave me time to think about everything, and so and and obviously it also gave me time to write and to try to make sense of what had happened and what this was and. And to start talking to people like friends um, in the products and UX design community to talk to them about their experiences and what they were going through at the moment and um, where they were at. And some people seem to just um, prosper nat naturally. They just keep on going. They've got like this internal resilience um, and they keep on going and, and other people take on a bit more stress. <laughs> Or, and then there's something else that I also discovered with all of these conversations. Um, a lot of people appear to be doing really, really well. And then the moment you tell them that you've been feeling a bit burned out and you'd like to chat to them, it turns out that a lot of people are actually not doing as well as they appear to be doing. But they kind of, you know, it's, it's like kind of that fake it till you make it thing that happens. People kind of push through um, to make it. Anyway, so that was a really, really long answer <laughs> to a short question. But, but basically, I I don't think I burned out to the point where I needed to, um, to get, you know, um, psychiatric or psychological treatments or anything like that. But I could see it coming and I decided, wait a minute, 
I'm a mom with children. This is not okay. And I, and I was in the fortunate position to be able to draw that line and say, I'm pausing my life for a bit. I think some people don't, maybe don't have that. Um, they don't have a supportive partner and there are financial stresses and things like that. So, so actually I'm really grateful um, to have been able to handle it in this way. Yes. Yeah. That, um, that's so good. What, so what was it like, I guess, taking a step back? Cause you mentioned in the article kind of two different phases of burnout. So earlier in your career, you know, when you were working, um, you know, 16 hour days, seven days a week, and just, uh, you know, really running yourself into the ground. And then, mm-hmm. you know, this almost second round of burnout where, you know, you were doing, you know, you had kind of changed things and, and were being healthier and, and things like that, but still, finding yourself burned out and, and realizing that, you know, you had to, to take a step back. So, um, you know, not necessarily doing anything wrong, but still facing, you know, some of this, the same workplace challenges of, you know, being burned out and actually, you know, having to take that step back again, you know, what was it like coming to that realization and then deciding that, you know, you were going to step away from, from work and f- for the sake of, in this case, your, your mental health and, and your kids and your family, like you mentioned? I think in a weird way, so it's it's kind of pretty terrifying, but at the <laughs> same time, I think there are two thoughts going through my head at the moment. The one is around um, like workload, um, having having a really heavy workload, if you're enjoying what you're doing and you feel that it's meaningful and purposeful and and um, you're doing it with a bunch of people who you like and who support you and you can support them is is fine. I'm not saying that you should lose all sense of boundaries and work 16-hour days at all, but, but having lots of work to do if you're in a safe space and you're enjoying what you're doing is, is great, actually. I think the thing that... Um, starts to become um, unhealthy is when you start feeling that you're doing a lot of work without seeing the value that it's bringing to to the organization that you might be in or to the community that you're in or to the, the people you're working with. So I think, I think there's that thing that came up for me. Um, and then my decision to resign was what was strangely random. So we, we went away for a weekend. My husband really loves camping. We went away for a weekend to one of our favorite camping spots. Beautiful mountains, rivers, trees, grass, you know, all the things. Um, and the kids were playing in the river. And it was just like this perfect little, you know, picture-perfect scene. And I and I was sitting there and I was looking at them playing in the water and, and at the mountains and the blue sky and everything. And I caught myself worrying about my work and and feeling kind of annoyed and that sense of like irritation. And I thought this is not right. <laughs> this is not okay. And when we when we went to um, went to sleep that night in our tent, our old little family, I I was lying in the dark and I just whispered to my husband. I said, I'm resigning. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then the next morning when we woke up, he looked at me and he said, did you say you were resigning? And I said, yes, yes, I'm resigning. And he was so relieved because um, our partners and the people who are closest to us are really the ones who get the worst of it, right? Because we um, we keep a straight face and we, we kind of fake things while we're at work and with our colleagues often. And then, but when we get home and we're with the people who can't fire us, then, <laughs> then the reality of the stress kind of emerges. So, um, yeah, so that was the story. Um, and I think it was a good choice. I didn't, I didn't think that it would send me down this new path that I'm on, but it was the right decision for me at that point. Yeah. I, I I love that this is I mean obviously this is a very personal story to to you and also to your partner and not only you know how you describe that that moment just now or many of the moments and also in your article too I just love that you mentioned a lot of the thoughts and feelings that you have at different points of that journey and they are all very very relatable because I mean when you're talking about at the beginning you know the nonstop working, eat, eating at your desk. And those are moments that I think we all have just our own flashbacks or maybe some of the listeners are going through that right now. And, but the one that hit me the most is when you, uh, actually, <laughs> I, I'm not a parent yet, but we know we're going to have kids. And then when in your article and I'm reading that, oh, I have two beautiful toddlers who deserve a parent who is not cynical, tired, and physically ill much of the time. Like, that's like the moment to me, I'm like, I, I, I'm so afraid that's going to happen. And the work is stuck, still going to be there. And how are we going to deal with that? And I, I just love the way you describe those moments. So, yeah. And the work is always going to be there, right? That's the yep. other thing. Like when you wake up tomorrow morning, you know, maybe the product's launched, maybe it hasn't, <laughs> maybe <laughs> whatever it is. And once it's launched, there's going to be more work, right? Then the bugs are going to start popping out and user feedback happens and all these things. So it's this continual thing and and it's fine. I've been I've been listening to a lot of Sam Harris guys. <laughs> um, and it's one of those like a thing that he said the other night. Um I was listening to one of his things and he said like if we can also reset our expectation to tell ourselves that these things will never end, there will always be these, the next problems to solve, the next, um, um, yeah. the next pieces of work to get done, because that's, that's life, right? And if we can change our expectations not to want an end to this, then, then there's, there, there's something in that. It does make a difference to how you think about things also, you know a little bit random but I had to mention that <laughs> no that was really great yeah that is great um you know in your article too you reference uh the work of Herbert Freudenberger uh, which I thought I thought was really interesting who listed three predictors of burnout um and this was from work a little while ago uh, but he mm -hmm. he mentioned role conflict role ambiguity and role overload as like mm. the three predictors of burnout. Mm. When I read that, I was like, well, that feels like the description of product just in general, like product <laughs> management or product design exactly. or UX. Like, 
Um, <laughs> does that? Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, does <laughs> I, I, that feels like it's jiving with with both of you? Um, you know, there there are probably some roles just in general that are at high risk of burnout, but it feels like product could be one of those in general, just by its very nature. Uh, has that been what you've found as well? Um, well, the thing is, I, so I am a product person. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you were to go and speak to um, a bunch of brain surgeons or people <laughs> in social work or people in teaching, um, they, they probably feel the same kind of thing. So, but I can't really speak for those people because I'm not one of those, but I, I am a product person. And also because, because I've, been reaching out to people and really talking to them and really listening to what they have to say, it does seem to me that the combination of those three things, conflict, role conflict, like I'm doing something, but somebody else thinks that they should be doing it, that thing, and role ambiguity, like I am doing I am doing this thing, but should I be doing this thing or should I not be doing this thing? Like kind of there's not a clearness to where where your work starts and ends. And then role overload is role overload. I think any any career could have role overload. But I think I think in the world of product design and product management and UX design and those three things are on top of each other all the time. It, it does feel to me like like it's one of those things, and and if you're working in a startup, um, I think it's almost a little bit worse, right? Not not worse, but it's more pronounced because if you start going into corporate, so I spent a, f- a good five years in a solid big corporate environment, the things are a lot more manageable because everything's very well planned and your role is very specifically defined to what you do. The moment you the moment you go into startup world, um, things kind of become a lot more blurry because people need to take on different yeah. roles um, over time and it does it, it does get stressful, right? If 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 you don't have almost someone saying exactly what it is that you should be doing, and you are an ambitious kind of a person with an A-type kind of personality, you are going to start taking on more and more pieces of work to get things done because we want to succeed, right? Um, um, so, so I think it is a product. I, I think people in products are more at risk. Um, and if I listen to my friends who are in product design, they are more at risk. And the ones who do a bit better are the ones who insist on clear boundaries and sometimes that's hard for us to do because we want to be helpful and supportive but i think we we need to learn to have stronger boundaries also it's it's (laughs) definitely a theme out there right yeah i don't know This is kind of interesting what you just mentioned about um the lack of structure or kind of processing more of a startup world kind of leads to even more ambiguity. And because I I, I personally think in those environments, probably because the organization that wants to invest in those, you know, teams are probably not product people that are, you know, fighting for these things because that has to be the first person, right? And that first person usually brought in by people that are not in, you know, that world. And, And on top of that, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, our job is to basically find problems, right? Also is 
mm-hmm. find problems and resolve them. And doing that without a structure, oh man, can be so stressful. Yeah. I am also curious, um, in, in, in your experience, do you have those moments when you kind of realize, oh, my role is ambiguous or like kind of directly going back to the three uh, predictors of burnt out? Um, I think, I, I think what happens when you're in that situation is there's no single moment when this happens mm-hmm. because we're all just swimming, right? We're all just um, trying yep. to get to that, to that end goal. And it's only when you really pause and think about it that you realize that, um, you're, you're you're starting to overstretch yourself. You're beginning to do pieces of work that other people should really be be doing, or or there just aren't enough hours in the day to get to all of the things. I think I think we all try to get everything done until we reach a point where we realize we don't. This might just be me being really bad at time management, also. <laughs> so so that could also be a thing. Um, um, but I, I can't, I can't think of a, a single moment mm-hmm. where I felt like these things were now falling apart or that I, I, you know, like role conflict is easy to identify. That's where I'm doing a piece of work. I've done it and I realize, oh, somebody else has done a whole piece of this already. And, um, and then there's, right, like, you know, um, person to person kind of conflict so that's easy to identify but ambiguity and overload we kind of want to cope with as human beings I think that makes sense Seems like that. yeah yeah and it's an important thing to keep in mind too I, I, I think those are great call outs like in getting into those the especially this industry and these roles in particular is that those are just often part of what the role is. So if you, if you thrive in ambiguity and like the gray area of, of role definition and that sort of thing, like it could be a really, really exciting thing. If you don't like you like very, very well-defined roles and you don't like ambiguity, then you could get burnt out very, very quickly in a product management or product design or UX type of role, because there is just a huge amount of gray area and a lot of ambiguity and, and that sort of thing. So like really understanding yourself and understanding the role and that sort of thing. And that could go, like you mentioned across like multiple different professions and industries, but you know, since, since we're talking specifically about, you know, product here, it's an important thing to understand that it's very much part of the role itself or the roles themselves and can lead to, you know, this sort of burnout if, if you don't understand that and understand like what you're looking for in the role. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. All right. Well, I wanted to, to ask too. So we've talked about the burnout itself um, and you, and you know, some of the things leading up to it in your article, you mentioned ways to manage burnout, uh, including a really, really interesting kind of method or framework, including a crew, a rocket, and a trail of destruction. Can, can you tell us more about that? I would love to tell you more about that. So so the first thing that I have to say is that the 
those words, your your crew and your rockets and your trail of destruction, those are words that came from a really good friend of mine. And um, I'll tell him to listen to this podcast <laughs> at some point in time. I think he'll be very pleased. Um, um, he was he was one of the first people I I called purely because he um, we've worked together in the past and he heads up the design at one of one of the big commercial banks in South Africa and it's harsh environment. <laughs> it's very corporate. It's um, it's. It's very grey, and he, he he's in there, and he's just doing excellent work, and you know, breaking down boundaries and all the things. So, um, so I called him, and I was like, I said to him, "This is where I am right now," and I was like, "How do you do this? How do you keep on um, coping?" Um, I suppose. And then he spoke about these things, and he said, "Your crew is really important." And when he said that, he meant that you. You have to build up um, sort of a group of allies around you, people who who can support you, but people who you can also support. Um, and you have to sort of be on the same kind of mission. You have to have the same value set, um, and your values don't have to match up with the big corporate values. It has to be you wanting to make a change, right? Wanting to build... Um, in his words, I think, to, to build um, a kinder world for people, which is not necessarily um, in the top ranking thing for most banks to build a, a kinder world, right? So, but that's his mission and his friends. And they they can work together on things. And when there are setbacks or when things don't go really well, you stay safe in that group of people, right? There's always that sense of safety and it's a place where you can express yourself and where other people can express themselves and and you can have a drink after a really really bad meeting um and kind of move move ahead and then the second thing that he spoke to was the rockets and he said you kind of all have to tie yourselves to this rocket which is going to shoot to the stars i suppose um and what he means by that was your you you have to have the same vision of where you're heading and that vision doesn't need to be attainable it probably isn't going to be attainable but it has to be something that's meaningful meaningful to you and purposeful to you and something that you really want to to get to and that everyone just like in their gut gets they know when they're getting there when they're moving towards that thing and when they aren't um and and you kind of just have to Stick to this thing with your with your friends, um, and then the the trail of destruction was an interesting thing to me, and I really had to I had to think about that for a long time before I understood what it is, what he really means with that. So when we when we when we're on this mission to to build better products for the world, right? Um, it's always okay, not always. Most of the time, it's going to be in conflict with perhaps the goals that our stakeholders and investors have, right? So they've got product goals that have something to do with conversions and registrations and revenue and all these things, whereas we do product design because we want to design a better world for people, right? And so that means you need to bring change 
into these big organizations and change necessitates some form of destruction. Either the processes need to change or the tools need to change or people's mindset needs to change or the way that that products and projects are managed, the hierarchies need to change. And and so there is this this kind of trail of destruction that you are going to have to leave and to and to kind of to make peace with that. Um, because I, I think I'm the kind of person who you kind of want to convince people there's a better way of doing these things. There's a better way to design the world. But sometimes you can't convince them and you just need to start doing the right thing and change things. And and people are going to feel hurt and egos are going to <laughs> be damaged. <laughs> so... Um, so it's, it's yeah it's it was I think those were wise words from him and it does I think it does help to think of it like that to know that any change that you bring into an organization is going to involve the destruction of something and people don't like to change their ways people don't like to work in a different way because they've figured out their own process and they want to work in that way and you're changing it and and you there will be there will be some form of friction. Anyway, so those are the three things. Um, and I and I, I really liked it. It also came from a very good place. But there's obviously a lot more to not burning out. But these are three three pretty good things. And I think if if you can get those things in place, especially especially a group of allies that works together, you are not on your own. You should never be on your own. But you'll probably be a lot more resilient. Um, I think, as a product person, than um, someone sort of trying to to do things on their own. I'll stop talking now. I feel like I'm talking a lot. No, never stop. Um, I really love that the... To me personally, the trial of destruction is the one that is the most unexpected to see, you know, as the three, you know, key points uh, in that. Because I think as product and US people, we always talk about the better future, right? We're moving things forward. But I think it's really just realistically, this is what needs to happen. And like you said, that friction and that conflict is bound to happen. And I... I really have problems when, you know, corporates try to sugarcoat that side of things and, and pretend that doesn't happen. But I think we all have the tools and the skills to kind of handle these conflicts and make sure something beautiful come, comes out of that. But, um, oftentimes I think that doesn't get talked about enough. And I'm glad that, you know, in your article, you kind of illustrate what happened and it's kind of a sad, you know, little bit of a story, uh, with Stanley. But I, I, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> he he's doing well for himself. <laughs> Good. Good. Ahead and they're making they're definitely making changes happen. The other thing that kind of relates to this that I that I didn't really speak about in the article, but that's been a very um that's been very topical, like in my conversations with other people, is um th- this this notion of services and products that we deliver um, reflect the hierarchies of the companies that deliver them. And that's inevitable, right? Even if you've got a brilliant group of designers and product team or a product team in your organization, if the organization is still centered around um, 
a hierarchy of stakeholders and investors and and the the main um, goal is to is to get revenue and um, and you've got like teams sitting in little siloed uh, parts of a building and so on. It's it's going to eventually reflect in the nature of the product or the service that you're delivering. And apparently, there's a name for this. Um, it's called Conway's Law. Yep. Huh? <laughs> yes. It's the thing, right? So if Conway is right, then we need to change the way that organizations are structured if we really want to deliver better products and services as teams, right? It's just a thought. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so good. Yeah, I was going to mention, uh, yeah, you've touched on Conway's law and that we end up shipping our org charts in a lot of the yes. products that we do. I love how you flip that though. And to say that, you know, I mean, I think a lot of times we, we talk about, you know, don't ship your org chart, but really the way to do that is to, to shift the way that our organizations are structured because ultimately we do end up shipping our org chart and you ship how your organization is structured. So if you want to create better products, like create a better organizational structure and a better organization so that what you're shipping is actually a better product and experience. I think that's really, really good. Yes. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to it. I, and I don't think it's an easy thing to do. <laughs> um, and also, and I mean, also the other thing that we also have to always keep in mind, I suppose, as designers, um, when you step into an organization, if you don't have the right role description or title, you're not going to change the structure of that organization. So, so the choice is kind of on your side to make sure that the place that you work for has a healthy, has a healthy structure or, or you need to step in there with a role description that says something like, chief experience officer or something so so you so you have a hand in shaping things i think yeah i think that's one of the that's one of the most difficult things is it, one changing an organization because organizational change is probably one of the most difficult things to do and takes so so much time so hard yeah so difficult and so hard and Two, un, kind of going along the topic of burnout is understanding that you either need to have a really in-depth understanding of like what the organizational culture is and how that's going to impact like your work life balance and your just your work while you're there so that uh, if it's the type of culture that you can thrive in or the type of culture that's just going to kind of wear you down over time and then how much impact you're going to be able to have on that uh, because it's probably going to be less than you think but if it's still enough that you can make gradual changes over time to make it better so that's uh yeah how much i guess i'd be interested how much uh have you been able to influence some of the the cultures and organizations that you've been in over some of your experience? I I think not really that much. Um, what I've what I what I have done, I suppose, in the in the last two my sort of last two career changes, I specifically aimed to to look at who I would be working for. So I, I picked 
I picked places where I knew the values were right. The values were aligned to what it was that I was trying to do. There were good people at the top and they, and they um, understood and they employed good people. So there's a lot of self-management and a lot of independence and a lot of creativity allowed for and so on. Um, um, I don't. I don't think I've really ever been in a position to to change an organisation as such. Um, not at a mac- not at a macro level at all. Maybe in the way that a, pro- a, a project would be run. Maybe maybe in a way that we would build products where we bring in a lot more customer feedback and do usability testing and you know ask the developers to come and watch the usability testing as it happens. So that that does make a little bit of a change to how people operate on the ground, I suppose. But but I've never been in the in the top level <laughs> where you can really bring a cultural shift, I suppose, to an organization. Yeah. Is this something Kyle, is this something that you've done though, right? This is something that you help companies with? It is, but it's something I'll tell you, even being in a position where you can doesn't mean that you'll be able to. And so cultural change is probably one of the most difficult things. And looking back, like over my career, like there's been one time where I was actually like super, super influential. And this was when (laughs) this was actually a long time ago. And it was when I was in like the most influential position. And when we had uh, like I was making most of the hiring decisions, I was like at the very, very top. And we had enough uh, like turnover uh, just by design that like we were able to change the the culture, but that was still over the Mm -hmm. course of like one and a half to two years. So like that was a long time to like really shift an organizational culture. And that was like actively doing it and like bringing in all the right people as other people left and that sort of thing. And that being like in a real position of authority to do something like that so it's it is a it is literally one of the hardest things that you could even take on even being in like an executive position to do something like that so i would go in with eyes wide open to anything like that that company culture is really hard once it's been set so if you're at the very beginning of an organization to give lots and lots of the thought to how you're going to to handle the creation of your culture. So anyway. I think now all the listeners are busy Googling Kyle's resume and just like, <laughs> where was this place? <laughs> and everyone's looking at your LinkedIn right now. Um, yeah. But I, I personally believe that culture really trickles down from the top mm-hmm. and from the ground level as an indiv- individual contributor or even like, you know, near bottom type of management level, I, I really believe that you can influence in your close proximity, kind of your mm. own bubble on your own project, but it really is hard to push it upwards because it has to be informed by company policy and a lot of decisions that are made from the top. Right. And man, this is a whole new topic that I, <laughs> that's why last time, I think when we talked about burnout in our episode, um, we kept, I guess <laughs> saying like, if you're listening, if you have the power to make changes, make sure you do. And we hope that you, you know, listeners, eventually when you get there, be part of the solution. I think that was kind mm-hmm. of our secret agenda in a way. 
but it, I think it's true. Mm-hmm. It has to come from the top. But anyways, yeah. Yeah. I suppose that I suppose you need almost um you need you need both in a yeah. sense, right? Yes. Yeah. Um that's true. It needs to come from both ways. Too many thoughts right now. I'm talking about this, but I'd rather not. Yeah. What what have you found that work has worked for you personally? Or I guess what else have you found that has worked for you personally in just managing and dealing with burnout? You know, we've talked about, you know, having the right vision, the right crew, you know, finding the right uh the right places that have, you know, similar values and, and things, and then really understanding, you know, some of the things that you talked about, just understanding that there's going to be some, you know, some trail of destruction as, as you make some of these changes. But what have you found personally that works for works well for you? Or, or what are some of the, you know, the hacks or the tips and tricks? Okay, so the, the first tip would be to, um, if you feel like you're burning out in an organization, and that the culture is an unhealthy one, you should probably step away from it. That would be my first um, tip, if this is possible for you. Not everyone can do this, I suppose. Um, but I think um, on a more practical side, I've started like um, setting stronger boundaries for myself, so not taking on too much work. And if the workload gets too much, to to say to say no. Like, and we don't like saying no to work, but it's something that you need to learn to do because if you want to do something well, you need to be honest with yourself and know your own capabilities and skill sets and what you can do with the amount of time that you have. Um, so setting stronger boundaries for yourself is definitely a big thing. And then the other thing that obviously helps a lot is doing exercise. And we all know this and everyone knows that, you know, doing lots of exercise is good for you but it really really is it moves your mind out of your out of your brain and into your body and it, it gives you a break um and then the other thing that i've been trying um a lot for the last while um that was advised to me by um a friend who's a neurologist um is mindfulness meditation which i have now started doing and trying i don't think i'm getting it right at all but every day, <laughs> once the kids have gone to bed, I kind of sit for about 10 to 15 or 20 minutes and I try to kind of silence my mind or not silence it, but to kind of in a neutral way, just watch all the thoughts going past and not to um, not to be too judgy about it, like just to kind of watch them and be compassionate and all of those things. I'm not getting a try yet, guys. Honestly, I've I've been doing this for about 20 days. I think it's going to take me years and years. Uh, but I I do think that it does make um, a very a very big difference. Um, so yes, and then the the basics, I suppose, also just having a healthy diet. You know, moving around a bit, getting out of your house because all of us are stuck in our houses with COVID. In South Africa, we are now in the middle of our third wave and it's it's pretty hectic and the president made an announcement um, a week ago saying that we're up to a very strict level of lockdown which means that you kind of have to stay home no gatherings of human beings of any kind is allowed and so on and it does make people 
get stressed out. Um, so to get just to get out of your house is probably also a very good idea and it helps. And those are just off the top of my head. Yes. Nice. This is great because um, we're also curious about kind of the <laughs> pandemic ha- handling and also the um, work culture and how's remote work um I, I guess because here is being very popularized by the, you know, pandemic. Now it's very, I think it's even more common now to talk about remote work in the U.S. Um, because of that and in the tech field. And of course, it's a lot more accessible to get work done. Right. How is that going on in uh, South Africa right now? Um, like, so I think I think we adapted really quickly. South Africa's economy is obviously a lot more fragile. It's pretty fragile. So there are a lot of people who just lost their jobs. Um, but those would be people who had physical jobs so in retail or in services and so on. Um, but, but in the, I suppose in the circles that I move in, if you're in product design or in any kind of a technical role where you can work remotely, um, we've adapted pretty quickly, um, so so it's it's, it's been a, a pretty smooth um, ride for me personally. I just on a practical level, but I think on a human level, I miss being with people in a room. I miss being able to give people hugs. I miss seeing people's hands and feet and being able to read their body language and know whether they're wearing pants or underpants or, <laughs> or you know those kinds of things I, I really really miss it a lot like and I always felt like my commute to and from the office was my quiet time so that's the time when you switch from home to work mode and then coming back home it kind of switches your your working mind off which I kind of miss working f- from the house so so yes but the the transition's been pretty good in in South Africa you know our vaccinations are very slow um so so that's a little bit concerning but um but we're getting there we'll get there Mm. so what I'm hearing is that the human needs to make connection and see people Mm -hmm. is pretty global and pretty universal across all people But yeah, I, I, I don't know. That. I've spoken to lots of developers. They eh? like, <laughs> like you know, those, oh. those sweet developers <laughs> who love like just being in their corner. And if they never had <laughs> to speak to a human being, they'd be happy. And they really enjoy like the thing of just being home and and so on. But um, yes, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just curious, do you think that, so when you're ready to go back to work um, as a country, do you, do you think you personally would like full-time, you know, at, at work again, in the office again, or do you want more of a hybrid of half and half? Um, a hybrid, um, because there is alone, there is alone work, right? There's work that you do yep. on your own, the, the kind of stuff where you have to just be absorbed in getting a flow right or building a prototype or getting the wireframes in the correct sequence and thinking about dependencies and things. Um, um, so so f- for me personally, that would probably be one or two days out of the five a week. And the other three days, I want to be surrounded by people and interact with people and have those face-to-face meetings and, you know, customer interviews yep. and all those things. So, 
So I think the hybrid is good. Um, and I and I think that's possibly universal. I, I, I think the, the ratio will just be a little bit different for different roles and people and, and personalities and stuff. That seems that seems about right. So, <laughs> so also, like would you also go for the for the hybrid thing? <laughs> I want hybrid. I want hybrid so bad. <laughs> it's it's interesting to me that it took this it it took a, a global pandemic to get us there. When the reality was, it was probably that almost everybody knew that that's or, well, at least in some. In some degree, we all knew like that's what we wanted. At least I know I knew for a long time like that's what I wanted. And but it felt like it was just this very strange thing. And then all of a sudden it became very normalized. Like we all collectively understood like, yeah, this is this just makes perfect sense because not all work is, you know, it not all work makes sense to do in in an office all together all the time. Like there's very much like, uh, especially for knowledge work and, and the kind of work that we're talking about, there's very much like mm-hmm. need to be separate, need to be focused work. And then there is collaborative together work. And, you know, those are different environments. They're different things. And like actually having flexibility to do, you know, those different types of things in different environments in different ways just makes a lot more sense. But I guess we eventually got there, even if we had to take a very roundabout, difficult way to come to that realization. So yes, absolutely. And and at a more practical level, also, uh, it's it's made a huge difference to to traffic, right? I mean, like yeah. I don't know about you, but but it's I mean, traffic was a nightmare, um, and now okay, we're in the third wave now, so everyone's at home. But like about a month ago. You could kind of see that some people were going in and some people were working from home and everything just like the infrastructure just works better. Like if you do need to go to work, you're not stuck in um, in traffic for an hour. You, you just get to work and it's, the world is a little bit smarter almost, a little bit more clever yep. now, right? It feels like that. Yeah, I think we always had like the tools available but then, like Kyle said, it took a pandemic for us to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. We can do Zoom meetings. We can do a lot of the things that we do, just like how we used to do it, right? Yeah. So. I'm also thinking it, it might we might come back to our culture conversation here, right? I think mm-hmm. a lot of companies were, were terrified of sending their yep. people home because if I can't see you, that means that I don't have control over whether you are working or not. Yep. And now it's forced their hands. And now I think a lot of people realize it doesn't matter. Like if my people get their work done, it doesn't matter whether I can see them or not, as long as our goals are being met and things are happening and value is being added and all these things. So so there's something, yes, there is something good that came out of this. Very much. Cool. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Yeah. Yes, it has. Any... I've enjoyed it so much. I'll do this again. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, we'd love to. I feel like we could we could keep riffing on a whole bunch of these different topics. So we'll probably have to like take one and come back and completely go down like a different branch of some of these because it's been it's just been a lot of fun. So, Kareen, thank you so much for joining us for the article. 
uh, and uh, your thoughts on on uh, on everything, uh, on, everything <laughs> on lawns, on lawns, <laughs> on uh, burnout. That was the word I was going for. Was on burnout. Uh, on yeah, remote work. Um, it's been it's been uh, really just a really really great conversation. Before we jump into our shout outs and gripes though, where can people find more about you, either your articles or social media? Um, I suppose they can Google, Google my name. Um, <laughs> I, um, I'm on Medium. So I'm, I'm on Medium. Um, my, my name will be in, in the description of the podcast, right? Right. So yep. we'll link you too. Uh, I think I think mediums the best place me um, and um, if they if they want to get in contact then all of my details should probably be on, on LinkedIn um, yeah and that's about it and everybody we will link um, Karen's article um, named how to Sur- survive a design career and avoid burnout in the show notes yeah please yeah. go read it it's great yeah check that out all the Thanks. links in the show notes yep Awesome. Okay. Well, before before we wrap it up, we've got to do some shout outs and gripes here. So any products that you are using right now that you are either loving or hating, Crean, we'll, as, as the guest, we'll let you go first if there's any anything you want to give a shout out to or a gripe to. Yes. I have a shout out, a good one. And it's for the Sam Harris app. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys know it, but it's the waking up. It's the waking up app. And it's just, it's just so beautifully designed. Um, and I'm, I mean, visually, but like, not only that, it's, it's the way that they've put it together. So it's this very empathetic experience that guides you through this really weird concept actually of mindfulness meditation. Um, and, and, um, the fact that they put it together in such a way that you can decide to pay for this app or you can send them a very, a very friendly email saying, I really can't afford this right now at this point in my life. And then it comes to you for free. Um, and, the, the way it's just been put together, any any kind of app where you're trying to bring about some form of behavior change, um, often often it's just like this um, this festival of notifications and interruptions and messages pinging you and stuff. And this is not the case for this app at all. And I I'm just really enjoying it at the moment. It's really um, uh, yes, it's it's really refreshing to me. So that's me. Nice. Okay. I might have to, I might have to try that out. That sounds, that sounds really Making good. You've, yeah. You've sold me. I'm looking at the, looking at the page right now. So I just downloaded. Nice. Very excited to try it out. Yeah. Give I, it a card. Tell me what you think. Okay. But only after about 20 days, right? It takes time to get in. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I used for a couple months, um, another app that was great too. Uh, so I used Headspace uh, which was an, a meditation mindfulness app, which super, super good as well. But it is, it takes a lot of practice and, and you have to like really, 
really focus or not focus. I, I don't even know how to like describe it appropriately, but yeah, I'm going to check that one out. That's that looks really good. Cool. Well, judging by the very calm tone of your voice, Kyle, I would say <laughs> that you must have gotten it right, right? Because if I, if I can get to that point, I'd be really happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that. I'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll pass that on to my wife and kids. <laughs> cool all right eva did you have any my turn yeah <laughs> i think this is one that i mentioned before um possibly i think i know i've talked about set app but there was one particular app that comes with set app that i really really love it's called clean shot and this is seriously i use it I, I don't know, 20 times a day. It is uh, basically a replacement of uh, the Max uh, default screen capture. So CleanShot basically is just a much more powerful, stronger, better, uh, sexier uh, replacement <laughs> to that. And it gives you all the capability to quickly share and quickly edit and also annotate your screenshot. I really... I, I, I don't know. I've been using setup for a while. So then out of all the things that I've downloaded and subscribed to, I'm like clean shot is the one that I now cannot live without. Just they make it super easy. Also, uh, I, I think now that the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, did I already talk about this? But if I have, uh, I don't <laughs> care. I'm going to give them five more hours of shout outs because it's seriously one of the best thing I have ever used. And that's very high praise coming from someone who's picky. <laughs> so cool. go download it. And I'm the end. totally yeah. giving it a go. It sounds amazing. It's great. <laughs> cool. It's great. Yeah. And you can also record screens and also uh, record a lecture with it because it gives you a little, you know, uh, icon. Uh, sorry, not icon. A little circle of your face if you want to. Better than not having your face if you're giving a lecture or anything. That's it. Nice. Kyle, what yep. do you have? That's great. All right. Well, I've been, so I've been using the new... Uh, Apple TV 4K for a little while now, and it's been it's been really really good. So it's like more expensive than the. So we use a lot of like Fire TV in our house, which is also good for like the price. Like um, we used to use Roku for our smart TV streaming. Uh, we use a lot of Fire mm -hmm. TV from Amazon. Uh, so I decided to give Apple's version a try, and still experimenting a lot with it but it it is so far it's been it's been really good like the remote i think a lot of i haven't used one before so i don't know what the experience was like before with the apple tv but the remote is is really really good like i wanted to just turn on uh like subtitles so i could watch a show and I actually just like clicked the the siri button and just uh was like turn on subtitles and it just it turned them on which <gasps> i was like whoa oh, whoa one of those moments yeah <laughs> yeah because it, it, what it's meant that's to exactly be. what it was like i was like that it, it wasn't like a menu to go turn on subtitles it just like it turned Oof. them on i was like i wasn't expecting that. i would just i wasn't expecting that i was expecting a menu for subtitles and so mm -hmm. i was like whoa okay i don't know i'm gonna have to test it out and see how it does it on some of the other devices and like see if it just turns them on or, or off or that sort of thing but anyway it's, it's uh so far i've been impressed again it's it's a little bit more expensive but it's been like 
I don't know, like the search and just like the suggestions, like taking me right into some of the stuff that mm -hmm. I want, like when there's a, a soccer game on or a football game, sorry for our international. I, and when I say football, <laughs> I mean football as in not American football, because I actually don't watch okay. American football. So whenever we talk about football on this podcast, we're talking about soccer. Okay, cool. But Thanks. Yeah, That's good to know. Yeah. It just brings up, <laughs> it brings up the matches and it's just, I don't know. It's good. It's been really good. I've been impressed. So some more experimenting coming up with that, but it's, it's been one, it's had like a couple of those like magical experiences of like, Hey, there's a game on, do you want to watch it? And I'm like, I do in fact want to watch, you know, the <laughs> Copa America game that's on right now. I didn't even know there was one on, but yes, like bring that up for me. Thank you. So anyway, cool. Yeah. Have so far you, it's been have good. Have you had the experience like the last while that Siri has been, her sense of humor is getting better and better. So one of our favorite games at home is for the kids to talk to Siri and just to see what she responds with. And, and, we've realized the last while that it, yes, when she doesn't know exactly what the right response is, she'll, she'll give you a funny answer. Um, oh, anyway, give it a go. G give three to your, to your kids and just see what happens. Um, there's, there's something brewing there and it's a good thing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to experiment with that too. We've, we've just got to, we're, we're actually about to give two of our older iPads to our kids. So they've, they've had other tablets. And so we've, we just upgraded my wife and I. And so we're, I'm in the process of wiping our old tablets and putting on like stuff for our kids. So they'll have the chance now to do that. So we'll have to experiment with that a little bit. That'll be interesting. That is so interesting. The idea of like teaching Siri, how to, you know, just how, how do you teach machine humor? I want to know. I want to know Yeah. if anyone knows, please tweet at me. Yeah. Super interesting. Absolutely. It just, I guess, one yeah. step before she becomes one of our robot overlords, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but at least she'll be funny thing. about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> While locking you inside your house. Yeah. <laughs> That's the future. Definitely oh. not. No, it's no, it's not. We're it's we're designing there. the future, guys. That's what. That's why we're here, right? And we're yeah. designing a. It's going to be a good one. A good one. I It'll did not funny. see this to be the end of this episode <laughs> the apocalypse the the robot apocalypse but let's make sure it doesn't happen it starts right here <laughs> all right this has been great and thank you thank you thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts and just this has been wonderful and we hope to bring you back again thanks thanks so much for having me guys it's been fun yeah. do this again yeah definitely <laughs> all right and i guess this is it right. thanks for listening okay. goodbye Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.